0: Welcome everybody back to the Basement Binge with another Fast and Furious episode. Man, what an interesting series to be doing! But I'm lucky that I don't have to do it alone. I'm once again joined by my podcast family, as I've now labeled them both. Rob and Matt from Matt Goes to the Movies. Rob, go ahead and introduce yourself, and then Matt follow them up.
1: Uh, hi, thanks again for having me. Um, like I had mentioned before, the Fast series was something that I was really hoping to get a chance to catch up on because I'm several films behind and. When you announced it, I, I just that this is a fantastic opportunity. It's a good excuse to, you know, force myself to make the time to see it. But uh, yeah, uh, for listeners who maybe haven't heard, uh, haven't heard anything I've done before. Uh, my name's Rob and uh, you can normally find me as a frequent uh, co-host with Matt over on Matt Goes to the Movies, all the same places you get your podcasts.
2: Yeah, and I'm I'm Matt from Matt Goes to the Movies. Uh, excited to be back here for another episode of The Fast and the Furious Saga. And excited to talk about one of the movies in the franchise that I think are actually pretty good. Um, that didn't come at first, though. It came with with time. So uh, I'm excited to have all three of us back together.
0: Uh, I am, too. I'm really glad that Rob was able to join us here. So I'm very, very excited to be talking about Tokyo Drift. You saw the episode title. You know what it's about. So I'll I'll kind of save a lot of my thoughts until after we get into the two cents here. So two cents. Everybody knows what this is. This is two minutes of uninterrupted time to talk about kind of spoiler free knee jerk reaction to the film. And Rob, because you are joining us after not for the second one, I'll let you go first. Also, as a tidbit, this is Rob's my first time ever seeing this this film, Uh, anything beyond the second Fast and Furious for Rob. Am I correct?
1: Uh, yeah, this is the, um, I'd seen the first two a bunch of times, but this is actually the first time I've really sat down to watch the third one. Um, I'd, I'd always heard it was bad.
0: Okay. Well, go ahead. Take away with your two cents. All right. So
1: two cents. Um, like I said, I had not really taken time to sit down and watch this film because I had heard that it wasn't really any good. And I think a big reason why I'd always heard that it wasn't very good is, um, that it's actually not very good. Um, <laughs> I know that uh, Matt actually says he likes it a lot. This is going to be, I think, another addition when when the three of us are talking movies or TV shows together where Rob ruins something. Um, yeah, th- there's it's once again another example in the Fast series, very much like the two films that precede this, where if you pause the movie at any point and ask yourself what exactly is the reason why any of this is happening, you find yourself really not coming up with a great reason. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the characters to me are really not likable. The protagonist is supremely unlikable. His love interest, really not a likable character. Um, Han is a likable character. Bow Wow's character is likable. Uh, I actually think the Yakuza boss is maybe the third most likable character in this whole film. Um, you know, there's, there's some really awful parenting by the way, going on in this. Um, there's there's some reliance on a lot of tropes that I absolutely hate, especially in the opening with the dumb jock and and all of that stuff. Um, there's you know, I, I can see why maybe I avoided this for a while.
0: Wow, we haven't even made it past the two sets and you've already ruined it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Um, well, Matt, if you want to follow that up, the floor is yours. Yeah, I
2: mean. You know, when I first watched this movie, I will say I didn't like it either. Um, I wasn't a fan of it all, but it's something that has grown on me over the years and in subsequent rewatches. Um, I think that has to do with maybe I focus more on Han. Um, I also think it's because when I first saw this movie, it's you know not what I was expecting. Uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise at this point wasn't really sure what it was going to be. And I think that now I know what this series is going back and watching this movie. I can kind of just take it for what it is. And I think there's actually, um, I think there's some fun here. I I definitely think there's some, some things that are hard to, to look at and go, well, well, okay. But at the same time, I think there's some relatable fun characters in this, uh, Han being the major one. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like this movie.
0: Okay, well, obviously we've got some polarizing opinions going on here. I'm going to follow up myself here. Follow, what the heck? Follow up myself. With, what am I trying to say? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> no, whatever. I'm going to go next. I, why do I overcomplicate things? Okay, my two cents. So spoiler-free thoughts. Like I mentioned, I have not seen any of these Fast and Furious films every single film is its first introduction to me and Tokyo Drift surprisingly is a film that I found myself liking a lot I I finished it and I was like wow that wasn't horrible like I maybe it was because it was like so not horrible that I was used to after Too Fast Too Furious that I'm it's way better than it actually is because it's through rose-tinted glasses of how bad the <laughs> second one was <laughs> I'm not sure but Either way, I found myself having an enjoyable time, but I also realized that I was kind of justifying and excusing a lot of the negatives of it that I don't think I should have. I think that I was a little too easy on it. um, Just because, uh, you know, I, as a kid, the kid within me is a lifelong fan of drifting. So that really doesn't help either, because like the second a car starts to drift, I'm just like, "This is the coolest thing ever." So, yeah, those are those are my initial kind of two cents thoughts about the film. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each, then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger,
1: fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for
0: details. But we will move on from our two cents. Before we move on to the spoilers, we're going to move on to the next one, which is a super fun one that is unique when I have guests on the show. Rummage for Rotten. So this is where we talk about or guess who is going to like this film the least. And that individual is our rotten. That's our guess. We can vote for ourselves at the end of the episode. We will give our reels a rating out of five reels. And the person with the least is the rotten. And whoever gets it right is a winner and wins absolutely nothing, except for being a winner. So I will guess, you just confidently guess that Rob is the rotten here. That, that should be your name, Robbie Rotten.
1: No, so. <laughs> we can switch it to that from Rob Ruin's things.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it will be Robbie Rotten, you'll have two alter egos. Rob Ruin's thing nah. on Matt Show and Robbie Rotten
1: <laughs> on the Facebook page. <laughs> I like it. Uh yeah, I'm going to pick myself as the Rotten as well. I think Matt's going to like it the most though.
2: I'm I'm gonna pick Rob, and then he's gonna swerve us by rating it a five. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be really great. I, I kind of want to. I like Rob's idea. Let I want to guess who is gonna like it the most. I'm gonna vote myself because I'm genuinely just surprised by how much I like it. But again, it sounds like Matt has positive things to say about it. So Matt, who do you think is gonna like it the most between you or I?
2: Um, I think we're gonna be tied.
0: Okay. We were... It's interesting because Matt and I have hindsight, just a production side note. We recorded the episode for the fourth Fast and Furious movie before this one so that Rob could be here for this one. So Matt and I were pretty close on the fourth one. So we'll see what happens on this one. Anyway, my brain's now confused. So we will move on (laughs) to the next segment. We're going to get into the spoilers here. Before we do, I just want to mention... Please go to podchaser.com slash the basement binge. Leave a review on Podchaser. It really does help out the show. And also lets me know what episodes you're enjoying. So if you enjoy it, please leave a review. But I also want to give Matt a chance to plug his show, Matt Goes to the Movies, because it really is a great show. So
2: yeah, thank you. Um, Again, I'm Matt from Matt Goes to the Movies, a podcast about movies that Harrison and Rob um, have been on several times, which I'm really appreciative for. We just recently did a Loki uh, episode for episode one, which has been very popular um, on the show. So thank you to everybody that's downloaded and listened to that episode. We'll be looking forward to doing episode two here on uh, Thursday night, uh, which is two days from now when. During this recording. So super interested in that. And yeah, just uh, got a couple episodes coming up. I've finished my recordings for a spiral from the book of saw and the dark night. Uh, so just putting the finishing touches on those so I can get those out as well.
0: Well, those are two episodes that I'm very much looking forward to. So thank you again, both to Rob and Matt for being here for this episode, my podcast family, so to speak which is very fitting <laughs> for the Fast and Furious movies, because that's what this is all about, his family, apparently. So we'll move on now into spoilers. And we're going to start the spoiler segments off the rest of the show by picking our poison. Here at the Basement Binge, we pick poison for our rating. And it's how you would interact with the film after our, this watch of it, whether it's initial watch or a revisit or whatever. And it's from four options. To never watch it again, straightforward to stream it, which is, if it's on a streaming service, you're already subscribed for two, and you're just looking for something to watch, and it just happens to be there. You'd click on it. Above that is rent it. Pay a few dollars when you're in the mood under certain circumstances and watch it. And top of the list, best ranking you can give it is to buy it, spend a whole truckload or whatever it is on it, and watch it as many times as you can. I'm going to go first. Confidently, this is the first film in the Fast and Furious franchise where my this pick your poison system is flawed because I'm a person who collects movies. So like every movie is a buy. And especially when it's in like a series that is, is significant to pop culture. Cause I'm like, Oh, I got to have the series when it's done. So that I'm not talking about that. I'm talking strictly from like a standalone film. This is the first one where confidently as a standalone film, even if it doesn't exist, even if I don't buy the series, I want to buy Tokyo drift because I really could see myself watching this movie again maybe not the whole thing, but parts of it most definitely when I'm in the mood. So confidently, I'm going to give it a buy. But Matt, you can go next.
2: Um, so this is one that I would stream and watch several times. It will be, it will be a buy because I'm going to own this franchise. But in the meantime, I would throw this movie on again um, for something to do if I was trying to fill time. I would watch this movie again confidently.
0: Rob, you can close us out. I Uh, I have a guess what you're going to pick. Yeah,
1: I think this is going to be Fast and the Furious Tatooine drift for me because this is definitely my last Jedi moment of the Fast and Furious franchise. (laughs) Um, You guys are definitely into it. And I'm just uh, I I do not anticipate a time in my life I will ever rewatch this film um It's it's a one for me. I, I do not see myself rewatching this film.
0: Fair enough. Okay, we're kind of spread across the whole board. All right, and also just because, like the Fast and Furious movies, I can go back and retcon whatever I want. I forgot in the first episode when all three of us were here to give our rankings. That's what we do every single time we binge a series. So Matt and I we got around to it in the second Fast and Furious movie, but Rob was not there. He hasn't seen the other movies. I hadn't, but I just kind of like threw out a guest ranking of all the, uh, the eight films, but Rob, I'm just going to have you do it for the three films, starting from least to best. How would you rank these films?
1: Uh, from my least favorite to uh, favorite of the first three, uh, it actually goes, um, in reverse sequential order, three, two, one, uh, three, I, you know, uh, like I said, I, I'm not sure there's a, a lot of moments in this. I, I really was like, wow. I, I liked, uh, the last scene. um, the, you know, the race down the hill, there were some really good moments there that we'll talk about later. Um, the second one that I wasn't able to jump on with you guys for is really kind of rough. Um, the first one's a lot more fun, I think, and has a lot more rewatch value to me. So I, I go 3, 2, one.
0: Okay. All right. Well, there we go. For those of you that didn't catch the second episode or just need a refresher, I put Tokyo Drift kind of in the middle of the pack. I put it at number 5. And Matt, he had it at number three, really near the top of the list. Obviously, Matt has a hindsight and the benefit of seeing these films, robbing myself not. I hadn't seen a single one. But Tokyo Drift was one that I had heard mixed things about. From some people, I heard bad. From some people, I heard good. One of the most prevalent good things I had heard about it was Christopher Nolan really enjoying this one. So it kind of just put it in the middle of the pack because I wasn't too sure. But I think that it's definitely going to go up. Because I really, really did enjoy this film. But again, there's a lot of good. Well, not maybe not a lot of good, but there's some other good to go after this. So I'm not I'm not gonna confidently say it's gonna be the top, but it's gonna be near it. What about you, Matt? Is it is it gonna move at all up or down?
2: Um You know, I, I depending on fast nine, it might move. Um and it could move down one just based on some a rewatch of six. Uh, I know it won't move because of 8, but re-watching 6, there's a chance Tokyo Drift could move. Um, and then again, with Fast 9 coming out, there's a chance this could move uh, based on how well I like Fast 9.
0: Fair enough. Okay. Well, let's move on to the next segment here, which is Live Up. So this is where we talk about our expectations for the film, particularly for Rob and I, where we'd never seen the film before. What were our expectations going into it? And was it able to live up to that expectation? And then for Matt, as someone who has seen this film before, what is the legacy that this film has as being a film that is now a, a huge franchise and has kind of withstood the test of time, you know, coming out in 2006? And was it, how is it living up to that legacy? Is that a legacy that it should or shouldn't live up to? Those types of things. We'll get into it. Um, I'm going to go first with my expectations and talk about if it, it lived up. Like I mentioned, I hadn't really heard much about this film. Besides on one interview, Christopher Nolan has mentioned multiple times that he likes the Fast and Furious series, surprisingly. And additionally, on one specific interview, he said that this one would probably be his favorite, that he really liked it. And uh, so I was like, what? Like Christopher Nolan, of all people, likes Fast and Furious, and he likes Tokyo Drift. Like Not like Fast Five or Furious 7, the ones that I've heard really good things about. Tokyo Drift, like, really? Like, the one that I've just seen memes of? Like, I'm pretty sure the Tokyo Drift song has been memed to death. And so I was really mixed about this. And then recording the episodes before with Matt, he had kind of talked about this, how it was a reaction that Universal had from the response to the second film. So I wasn't really sure what to think. And I knew it was an anthology film that no one from the previous films was in. And then I just assumed that it was in Tokyo and had to do with drifting. So I just imagined that scene from Cars 3 or whatever Cars movie it is where Mater's like the drift king. I was like, whatever. It's probably going to be a culmination of all those things, minus Mater, sadly. Uh, And it is. It's kind of a culmination of all those things minus Mater. I think Mater would have made it better. Um, But it it definitely lived up to the expectations of what it was. It's definitely a Fast and Furious movie. I think that it... This film particularly benefits of me being familiar with the cinematic language of a Fast and Furious movie and being able to understand it and process it instead of just being frustrated with it. And that helps. Additionally, like I said in my two cents, I am just... I love drifting. As a kid, I love drifting. I, I was really into RC cars. I bought tons and tons and tons of RC cars. And my favorite one was a drift car. It was an RC car that you could put two different tires on. You could put racing tires on it. And when you would, it would also raise up the car a little bit. Or you could put drift tires on it. It would lower it down. And they were slick rubber wheels that would slide on pavement and and tile and wood flooring. And it was like, I would drive that. I got so good at drifting that around the dinner table. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And then when I was younger, like when I was like twelve, I would go out to this super small town with my family, and we drive like super old trucks out there. And my dad taught me how to drift in the dirt. And then growing up in Utah, where there's snow, like drifting is just something that you do consistently. And so I've just had like a weird enjoyment of it. Nowhere I have nowhere near the skill that the people who were making this movie do, but I I love to watch it. So that definitely helps. It, I think that that was a long explanation to say this really exceeded my (laughs) expectations because i had had heard enough negative about it that when i was enjoying it all the things i was enjoying it i was enjoying a lot more than i ever thought i would enjoy a fast and furious movie so it definitely exceeded my expectations because my expectations were a total mixed bag with mater thrown in there so rob how did this live up for you (laughs) at all it sounds like it wasn't too pleasant
1: um, I, I kind of wish they would have had made her in this. It would have definitely made it a lot more <laughs> enjoyable for me. Uh for sure. Um like I had said I uh my first uh, time uh, experiencing this movie uh was uh in advance of this episode. Um prior to that I'd never really heard great things about this overall. It's it's not necessarily considered, you know, a, a, f- a phenomenal piece of cinema that people are or flocking to, it's not really even considered a cult classic, you know, where, where films like super troopers don't do well at the box office, but they end up or like office space or, uh, and they just crush in DVD sales as it sort of catches fire. Um, you know, this isn't really considered like that. Um, so to me, you know, it, it's kind of a weird movie because the second, you know, too fast, too furious is almost like a soft reboot of the original. In some ways. And this is almost a reboot of that, you know, where it's, it doesn't really, other than that, you know, almost end credit scene, it doesn't have anything to do with with the other films. So it, and this movie really takes a long time, I think, to set up your central conflict, like it's not until almost maybe half an hour from the end that you actually know what the climax of the film is going to be. I mean, you can have some ideas that it's, it's going to end up being a race um, you know between uh, d k and and Sean, uh, but as far as why they end up in it and what the stakes are behind it, it really takes a long time to set it up um, and uh it, I would say it was about what I thought it was
0: okay, well, there we go, so we got it highly exceeded the mater expectation and just about <laughs> lived up to the materless expectation. Well, Matt, you let us know what is the legacy of this film and <laughs> Yeah. Well, I.
2: The legacy of this film is it propelled the franchise to where it is now. I, I think if you really look, um, you know, Too Fast, Too Furious, again, uh, really poorly reviewed, did not make the money that they thought it was going to. And this movie was, well, let's just make something totally different. We can't. Uh, the funny thing is, they actually. They did not have Paul Walker come back for this because, quote-unquote, they said he's too old um, for this movie. That's a real thing. So, you know, they make this concept where let's take it to a different uh, niche for driving. But this movie was so poorly reviewed and is the lowest entry in the franchise that the legacy, like I said, of this movie is... This is why we have the Fast and the Furious saga as it is today. Um, You get probably one of the most likable characters in the franchise out of this movie. Um, I, I don't think that's wrong to say, but as far as expectation goes, when I first saw this movie, I really thought after this was done, I was like, this franchise is dead. Like there's no way this comes back. You'll never see another movie. Um, like it's over for it. Um, but to their credit, they've, they figured out a way to make it work and billions of dollars later and, uh, a ninth movie coming out. They're still going.
0: (laughs) Who would have thunk it? So what a weird movie and what a (laughs) spread of opinion about it. This is going to be fun. episode. I'm excited. So Any other thoughts about expectations of the film, legacy of it, anything before we move on to the next few segments? Uh, I'm good. Alrighty, we'll move on to Binge Points. So this is where we talk about Easter eggs, details, trivia, behind-the-scenes stuff, and just anything else we want to mention that doesn't fit into the other designated segments. I will go first uh, by kicking off these Binge Points with some fun details that I found out about this which I think is really interesting that the drifting for this scene or for for the scene. Wow. This movie clearly was really intense. And that's one thing that I do enjoy about it is that a lot of the drifting you can tell was very, very talented drivers doing something really impressive that I can never understand. Uh, Apparently the, the actors, the main actors, um, I'm going to forget their names now. Hold on. Let me, um, pull up IMDb here. Um the actor who plays Sean um,
2: Lucas the, Black.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Whatever. I'm not gonna name them by name. The 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 key actors, they went to like three days of drift school. And then the production and, and Justin Lin was like, Yeah, okay, get out of the car. We're gonna let the professionals do their job. Um <laughs> they did a, a phenomenal job. But about that, when filming this, over a hundred cars were destroyed. Like, in one of the behind-the-scenes interviews I was watching with Justin Lin, he was like, yeah, every single time a car would crash into the wall, which they do a lot, it was like, he was like, I was always stressed because some of those crashes we just caught on film when a driver slipped. Like, he, he, he talked about how it didn't happen too much, but there was a lot of, like, near scrapes and, and, yeah, so apparently they destroyed a lot of cars. And they also went through, like, a crap ton of tires. Like, Toyo donated 4,000 tires to this movie. And about half of them were used. But then again, they also had tires donated from um, Ray's engineering and their racing wheels. So they had just tons of tires and cars given to them to make this movie. And, you know, the drifting... Rob, especially I'm curious what you think about this. The drifting that comes out of it is enjoyable for me, largely. But did you at least enjoy the drifting, Rob?
1: Um, So coming into... The last scene, I wasn't sure when we get to the segment where we're picking our favorite scenes, I wasn't sure what I was going to choose. Um, when the camera stays on the cars longer and you know that it's not CG, especially in that last scene, the driving skill there is unbelievable. Um, if, you, if you think about what it is that these stunt performers are actually accomplishing, they're having to synchronize their movements in ways that you can't even begin to understand Um, They have to be talented drifters, but it isn't just the fact that they're getting the vehicle to work with them. Um, They also have to maneuver their vehicle in, you know, synchronized with their partner who's driving in front, beside, behind them, wherever those vehicles are uh, to get them to slide at the perfect speed and pace that they do. Um, It's. If you actually know how hard it is to do what these guys are doing, um, it is very, very impressive. It's probably the best driving I've seen in a film that I can think of. I, I'm, I'm really struggling to think of um, of anything I've seen that's been more impressive uh, than, than especially in that last scene.
0: Yeah, it, the driving is amazing. That's one thing thing I really dislike about it is is there are some shots and definitely more so than the first two films where the camera actually stays with the car and we don't get a cut. There's some longer takes of a car, but I wish that they were still longer. Like I don't care about the actor spinning the steering wheel over a green screen or pumping the gas and clutch and brake pedals or upshifting and downshifting a million times. Like I just want to see these drivers do something incredibly impressive. And to some extent, we got that, and to another extent, we didn't. Um, but yeah, really, there there was a lot of money and and vehicles and vehicle maintenance that went in into allowing these drivers to do this drifting, and and it in some ways does pay off. But those are my first few bench points. Do you have any others? Both either of you?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I've mentioned this before, but the cameo uh, appearance by Vin Diesel in this movie wasn't even originally scheduled. Um this movie had tested so poorly that Universal actually came to Vin Diesel and said, "Hey, will you do a cameo uh in this movie for us?" And his only agreement, like the only reason he agreed to that is because Universal gave him complete creative rights to the Riddick franchise. Uh not even this franchise. Um He said, sure, I'll do a cameo, but you have to give up rights to Riddick um, so that he could go make that movie independently uh, in 2013. So his cameo was not even scheduled to be in this movie until the test screenings were so poor that they went and asked him to do it.
0: Wow. Well, I have a follow-up question. Is a Riddick movie any good? Uh, I actually like that franchise. Um,
2: Rob, have you seen... Like those movies, The Pitch Black, Riddick, and The Chronicles of Riddick.
1: I've not seen those start to finish. Um, I know Pitch Black is one of those films that um, is is definitely thought of better than it than what it won at the box office necessarily. And and I know that there's a a lot of support for the uh, Riddick films.
2: Yeah, I like them. I I remember a quick little sidebar going to see Chronicles of Riddick in the theater, Um, and I was one of Two people in that theater that went and saw it. <laughs> and this was pre-COVID. <laughs> yes, this this was long before we knew the
0: word COVID.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. funny. Can we go back to that?
0: <laughs> Please. Please. I would gladly go back to two people in a theater watching Riddick. <laughs> 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 wow, that's so interesting. That so, I mean, when that to, just to talk about that cameo, when he showed up, I mean, he was going up to race someone and, and this was my first thought because I know that, I mean, spoilers, I guess, maybe, I don't know. Everybody knows at this point, Han is not dead forever. Like he, I saw him in the fast nine trailer. So like when his car blew up in the movie, I was like, what? Like, how did he survive? Like that's impossible. And then when at the end of it, when Sean is pulling up in, as a drift King in his new car to drift somebody, that says they knew Han like family or, or whatever they say. I was like, it's going to be Han. And then it, I saw that it was like an American muscle car. And I was like, oh, it's, it's Vin, it's Vin Diesel. It's Dom. Like, duh. And, and but I was like, this just feels like so out of place. Like Dom is just suddenly in Japan. I don't know, but I, apparently it's, the timeline's a big mess. So
2: yeah, it's explained in fast seven why he would be there. Oh, okay.
0: Well, I look forward to that. Do we actually get to see the race?
2: Uh, <laughs> no, you don't get to see the race. And I will say that Lucas Black ages. It's so bad. Um, he ages terribly because <laughs> it's it's supposed to cut in between like Fast 7 in this movie that's taking place at the same time. Um, and Lucas Black's character looks like he's
0: 35 years old <laughs> in there He's supposed to be like 17 yeah yeah Jeez. so thoughts about that I'm sure at the time Riddick was like in his 20s uh 23 24 is what I'm going to guess what are the two of your opinions about his performance as a 17 year old did you like it did you not like it
1: you know for me it was another example of somebody who's clearly five to 10 years older than the character he's playing. I mean, we see this all the time with high school students, uh, on film. Um, I, you know, it was hard for me to really rate his overall performance because I found the character of Sean just so unlikable anyways. Um, that it just like, I, I didn't, I don't really have an opinion on, uh, on Lucas black.
0: Fair enough. Matt. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think it's even more. So, I mean, Back when the movie first came out, I didn't really notice it. It's obviously a lot more, um, you know, in your face now, but, um, yeah, I don't really know how I feel about him as an actor. I certainly don't remember seeing him in anything else. Um, but at the same time, I thought he did, you know, again, as my appreciation of this movie grew, um, I don't really think about those things about, well, he's supposed to be, you know, a high school person. Like to me, Tobey Maguire looked like, you know, he definitely was not in high Mm. school when he played Spider-Man. So (laughs) um, like I can overlook those things. So it doesn't really bother me. I don't think he did a great job. I don't think he did a bad job. I think it's, it's one of those performances that is, it's there.
0: Okay. I I had to ask because I feel like, I, I just had to know what the two of you thought because I just feel weird, for lack of better words, that I was really connected to his character, which is w- weird because the film started and I was like, oh, here we go, another twenty-year-old being a teenager in high school, like, how dumb, and like I was really kind of bothered by it. But then as the film went, and maybe it was his dumb accent in Japan or like the fish out of water type thing, but even as unlikable as he was like, there were so many times like this guy is just an idiot and a jerk. Like he's just infuriating. There was something about his character that I was really engaged in. And I even wrote in my notes that this was like a great coming of age film for the character of Sean. But I look back and then I'm, I'm like, okay, why did I write that down? Like, obviously I wrote it down because I was feeling it in the moment, but I can't tell you why besides just, for whatever reason, being connected to an actor who I did not think was doing a very good job. I'm just very intrigued by it. So I wanted to, I, I think just, I don't know, maybe my brain was misfiring that day or something, but I don't know. Here we are. So that was a random tangent. Do you, either of you have any other bench points?
1: Uh, nothing behind the scenes, but just kind of more of a um, <laughs> if you ap- if you happen to rewatch this film again, one of the things that just really jumped out to me is just kind of a, a something to think about moment. You know, there's the, the first scene where Sean is uh, dr- in a drift race and and they just give him this car and <laughs> and. And he's now he's supposed to race a car that he's never driven before on the opposite side of the car that he's ever driven before in a race style he's never done before. Um, And he actually thinks he has a shot at it. And it's it's one of those things that just was so ridiculous to me that, like, did you ever did you ever go to the bar with a friend back when you could go to bars with friends and like the friend that drove just gets way too hammered and now you have to drive their car home? And like you go to put the turn signal on because like you're reaching for where the turn signal is in your car and you accidentally turn on the windshield wipers like imagine that but dialed up to like 37, you know, like that's that's kind of what he's asked to do in this and just like the ridiculousness of it um, (laughs) was just so amazing to me like there's there's absolutely no way that this guy could have possibly thought um, (laughs) that that he had any shot at it. And it's one of those just, you know. Uh, stop and think moments that I just it was I was marvelled
0: by. <laughs> I think that you kind of answered my question of why I was so interested in the character of Sean. I don't think I ever stopped and thought about any of it because I was just so enthralled by the drifting that, and and just kind of the movie as a whole. I was really Christopher Nolan saying he liked this, like really had my interest peaked and like that scene that when you break it down like that i'm like wow that is like stupid like what an idiot <laughs> 17 year old like really but in the moment i'm like yeah you got him dude like you got it. you come on get in the car like you know and i like i'm totally invested in him winning the race when he had no shot like never did he have a shot of doing it so it's it's interesting how polarizing the then and now is uh very interesting matt do you have any other bench points
2: uh, no, I, uh, I don't have any other topics to discuss on binge points.
0: Okay. I'll, I'll just kind of close out with the last one here, just cause I don't know where to put it in anywhere else. One thing that I really did like about this film, particularly being in Tokyo and being in Japan is how the story felt like it was a Japanese or, or Chinese Asian type cinema where a lot of the, like a wusha film where a lot of these films have a lot to do with political and social plays between allies who are actually enemies and a lot to do with pride and legacy and uh, royalty and family and those types of things. And that's a lot what this film is about. Like this film doesn't so much feel like a gangster film as it feels kind of like a, a a wusha film, even though there's nothing wusha about it. And, for that reason, I really did kind of enjoy the story, especially between the character of Han and uh, DK and whatever DK's uncle's name is that I'm forgetting right now. Like, I really liked that parts, parts of it that I just was like, I felt like that was a really interesting choice for a story. And maybe it was intending to be referential to the culture of cinema that this, maybe it wasn't, I don't know, but I liked it. But again, I, I'm not, I don't know if I can a hundred percent defend that. <laughs> so, oh, go ahead, Matt.
2: Yeah. I was just going to say there's, uh, again, I, I do think the story here is, I, I think there's actually some good parts of the story. I know Rob, like probably can't stand it, Um If I'm saying that, if I'm saying that correctly, but I I do think there's actually like once it gets to Japan, I think, you know, there's some strong character moments with Han with um, Sean's character, uh, even Bow Wow's character. I I think there's actually some pretty good on screen chemistry between the three of them um, that I that I like that kind of pushes me past some of the other
0: things in the movie. I would agree with you there. So, okay. I'm glad to know that I'm not totally crazy, maybe a little bit, but not completely. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, we'll kind of, with that in mind, we will move on to the next segment, least and light. We talk about our least favorite scene and our favorite scene. I'm going to let Rob go first with his least favorite Ooh. scene.
1: Uh, for me, my least favorite scene is the opening. Um, this whole opening scene to me is just trash. Um, the cheerleader girlfriend says, okay, the winner gets me. Oh my God. That's why, why is that line in <laughs> there? That's it's awful. Um, it's an overuse of this terrible movie trope of the meathead jock. Who's just a bully. And I, I actually don't think that, most jocks in most high schools in the United States act like meathead bullies. I really don't believe that. It might have been true at one point of our history, but I really don't know a lot of people I've ever talked to where that was the case. I played basketball in high school. I wasn't a bully to anybody. My friends weren't bullies to anybody. Maybe it was just my high school, but I just, I hate that trope because it just feels so overused and and just really not based in a true reality anymore. The dude intentionally wrecks the Viper into the other car. Which, growing up as a kid, um, the Dodge Viper was absolutely my dream car. Keep your Ferrari, keep your Lambo. Um, the the Viper was my favorite car, and to see a guy intentionally <laughs> wreck it over and over again just made my stomach turn. Um, that that whole opening scene, just uh, you know, he decides to just drive through a house like. Yeah, there's there's not going to be any consequences here for me. Like it's just it's it's terrible.
0: <laughs> All right, uh, fair enough. I can agree with a lot of that. Um, I will go next with my least favorite scene. My least favorite scene is going to be a lot of the scenes between I don't even remember their names, but DK and Sean's love interest, like. Everything about that relationship, everything about those characters, I was like, Ugh. like it just I didn't think they worked together. Why is she interested in this bozo? I just I felt like it was an unnecessary trope and drama added to the film that didn't need to be there. Either let her be with Sean or let him her not. Like it, it just, I don't know, it felt kind of over the top. But I do appreciate how it adds a lot to the tension in the finale. I appreciate that, but I wish we could have gotten there in a better way besides just, you know, love triangle. But Matt, what is, what is your least favorite?
2: Yeah, I'm going to agree with Rob in the beginning. Um, and it starts with just, you know, the over-the-top, like, bullying. He throws the baseball through. And then, like, just the girlfriend like, oh, we're going to race. And then, like Rob said, that just line of the winner gets me. Like, no offense, if I was that person's boyfriend, I'd be like, I'm not even racing. See you later. Like, bye. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, what what do you mean the winner gets you? Like, what what are we talking about here? Um, The fact that that's even a line in the movie, and, I mean, even back then, it was just like, what the heck is that? Um, I think everything about that scene is really, really cringe. Um, it certainly doesn't start the movie off on like uh, the right foot.
0: I agree. I, I have to add in that I agree that that opening, especially between like this stupid meathead jock and the, the underdog who doesn't fit in, and then the little girl is just dumb. I have to disagree with Rob where I really liked the race. Yes, there were some definitely like dumb parts of it that weren't great. But for the most part, I was engaged in the race uh, and I actually liked it. The other scene that I really have to bring up that I just thought was dumb was like, what the heck was that scene where Sean walks with the wrench when he's at like an auto shop or something to see the chubby kid getting spray painted just to like walk away? Like, why is that in the movie? What? What? Like, well, actually, as I say that, it makes me think of the scene later with Twink where he interjects, but still like what some dude getting his belly spray painted purple, like what is going on? I was so confused by that.
1: I, like I said, um, Sean is a, is a very unlikable protagonist and and it really starts there. Like you want to see, like, he's the kid that doesn't fit in and he doesn't stand up for another kid who clearly doesn't fit in with the cool kids and the popular crowd. Um, Yeah, I, I just, I feel nothing for him as a protagonist.
0: Yeah, that was not a great intro to the character. So, but I will let Matt go first with his favorite scene. Uh, favorite
2: scene would be, I really do like the scene leading up to Han's death. I think that car chase is very well done. Um, Again, you actually get to see cars drifting. I love the shot of the car drifting through the crowd of people. I just think it's very well done. I think Justin Lin shows a very good sense of what to do with the camera. Um, You know, he doesn't always have a ton of close ups with quick cuts, so I appreciate that a lot. So um, I would say that and then the ending race are definitely up there for me as my favorite scenes in this movie.
0: Yeah, I'm going to follow you up, Matt, with my favorite scene. Definitely that race when they're running from DK or whatever his name is, Han and Sean, and they're in their two respective cars. I loved that scene. I thought the driving was phenomenal. I thought the filming and editing, while it could have been a little bit better, was actually really good. I felt like there was a lot of restraint with the constant upshift cut and the steering cut and the pedal stomping cut that we get in so many Fast and Furious movies. Uh, there wasn't a stupid nitro light speed cut anywhere in it. It was just great racing with some really sweet cars. I love the car that Han was driving. The way it drifts just looks beautiful and engaging. Same thing, that drift through all the, the crowd I thought was awesome. I The driving, again, is really amazing. I really, really did like that scene. And how all that leads into Han's death. And how Han de- Han's death... Actually, I know it's kind of retconned later, but within this film has a weight to Sean going forward. And I also have to agree that tied with that is that final race. Um, I know I'm going to mention three here, but because there was another scene that I really enjoyed, I want to say it was my favorite, but I just want to mention it. It's the scene. I don't remember where in the movie it was. I can't remember, but it's when Sean is in the car with the girl. I don't even remember her name. The stupid love triangle girl. It's with DK and with Sean and back and forth. And they're driving in the mountain. I think it's after Han dies. I don't remember. I think it's after Hyundai's, but they're driving and it's like five or six cars in a row that are drifting down the mountain at night. And the the drivers drifting, I was just like, I, I would just want to watch the drivers. Can we like stop it? cutting to Sean and the girl? Like just cut that out and let's just watch the drivers drift down this mountain. I thought it was amazing to watch the driving, but the scene is taken down a lot by how constant we cut to the characters when I just wanted to see some sweet drifting. But I just want to mention that because I thought it was amazing to watch, but Rob, you can finish this out here with your favorite scene. If you even have one.
1: <laughs> so, uh, I was, uh, I was prepared to say when the credits rolled. Um, but I, uh, that, that would actually just be being glib, uh, and, and not being, and not giving credit where, where credit is due. I feel like, and, and maybe I'm not, right about this i feel like this movie doesn't have anywhere near as many car scenes as the two that come before it i just feel like there's a lot less driving in this movie maybe maybe i'm wrong but it just i got to the end of this and i felt like wow there really weren't that many car scenes in this movie um the last one though like i mentioned before um the driving skill shown by the stunt team that put this together that if you're going to rewatch this movie um to, like for me to think about rewatching this movie it would just be to watch that and that alone because it is it's a thing of beauty it it truly is if you know how hard it is to get these vehicles to do what they're doing um it's it's like it's like watching Steph Curry shoot a three pointer i mean it's just it's a thing of beauty you know <laughs> to to watch you know when Peyton Manning was in his prime and to have him just launch one um, to Reggie Wayne or Marvin Harrison. Like it's just, it's a thing of beauty that um, it's hard to describe.
0: Yeah, I agree. I thought that the, the drifting was incredibly impressive uh, throughout the whole film. Really? Um, I, I mean, even going back to the, the f- kind of first drifting that we made fun of with Sean, the, Thinking about someone drifting through that parking garage, I'm like, "Are you nuts?" Like, especially to think that that's like a real thing—that there's a huge, like, there's a legit drift king in Tokyo that does that type of stuff. Like, I, wow, I'm I'm amazed by that. The other thing that I want to add about that final scene is I love that Sean shows up in an American muscle car. Like, the last thing that you would expect to see at a drift race. I just I thought it was fun to see the work that went into that and. And then to have it be there. So, any other thoughts about Lisa likes?
2: I no, so. I I think I'm good.
0: Okay, we're getting close to reveal the rotten, which I think is going to be a clean sleep. <laughs> but before we get there, let's get to the to the last segment: franchise inquiry. So instead of messages or meanings, like can fall in. We're going to talk about how this film has led to the eventual success of the franchise. How does this film fit in the franchise successfully? and yeah in a good or bad way i'll start off this by saying that comparing this film to the box office of other fast and furious movies it's clearly the weakest we know it's the film of all fast and furious movies that has made the least only 158 million worldwide just 62 million domestically like that i mean that's a lot of money but that's not a lot of movie money for a blockbuster
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it's certainly not at all. Um, Again, most of this movie's money came from overseas, and it it certainly did not have
0: the the effect on the American box office that they were hoping. Oh, definitely. I'm curious, though, if either of you have any thoughts. Why do you think Universal took this direction with it?
2: Um, I think really they thought that they had to do something. I think they really thought they had to do something completely different. And I think they, by going to this, um, you know, this outlet of what was going on. Um, cause at the time this was a big thing, uh, over in Tokyo. So I think they really, were banking on the fact that like, you know, this would appeal to a wider audience and overseas. Um, I really think they just thought they had to go somewhere completely not out of left field, but had to do something totally different than too fast, too furious, because even though that made money um, it was clear, that's not what audiences wanted to see. So they thought maybe doing anthology films would be the way to go.
0: Uh, Yeah, that makes sense to me. And it's interesting how this film does have a big, International appeal and market to it. But in Japan, I should have mentioned this in the binge points. This film was named Wild Speed 3. <laughs> like, you're going to make a film about drifting in Tokyo and name it Wild Speed 3. What? How's that, <laughs> that exciting? What was yet?
1: Wild Speeds 1 and 2? I'm curious now. Uh, I,
0: maybe the other Fast and Furious movies? I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, it literally sounds like a generic energy drink.
0: <laughs> Almost <laughs> as generic as nos <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah. So I, I think it's interesting, especially because I happen to take my brain into the right listening order of this. Because, like I mentioned, Matt and I have already recorded the episode about the next film, Fast and Furious. And it's interesting now having the hindsight of that, how there was a reaction one direction after Too Fast, Too Furious, just to like totally cut the other direction after Tokyo Drift into what is the fourth film in kind of coming back to the original and coming back to the form. And I, I wonder if in the franchise people like, I know that how can I phrase this question the right way between the three of us, there's a very wide range of liking it versus disliking it and our enjoyment level of it. I'm curious how this is within like big fans of the franchise, the people that are going to show up to fast nine on opening day what are what is the general consensus about Tokyo Drift? Like not like one specific person, but just like the general idea. I'm curious if anybody has any, you know, has their finger on the pulse of that.
1: I'll, I'll tell you kind of my thoughts on that general the idea. Um, this film really feels like they just licensed the Fast and Furious name and slapped it on a script that they already had. Um, outside of Dom showing up at the end, which, you know, as we talked about was kind of tacked on after some, uh, initial, uh, test screenings didn't go well. And then they, they incorporate some of these characters and I, you know, into later films. But if this, if this series had just like, if this film was just called Tokyo Drift and was not fast and furious three Tokyo Drift, would people even remember it? Um, do you guys remember the movie torque? Do you remember that?
0: No, like uh, no, it. I do,
1: nobody remembers it. No, it came right. out in 2004 <laughs> at the time when the Fast and the Furious movies were were popular. So they thought, oh, we're going to put out all these racing movies. It's basically Fast and the Furious on you know like crotch rockets was was really what it was. I I, I never, I don't even think I ever finished. Sounds it was kind of
0: interesting I, though.
1: It's not good. Um, oh, okay, <laughs> but right. So like nobody remembers that, and I really believe that. If this film was just called Tokyo Drift, um, I, it's very hard to think that anybody even still talks about it.
0: That That's a good point. I don't think that this film would have any staying power if it didn't have the Fast and Furious name connected to it. So you made me ha- kind of have a question to that. What is it about this that doesn't work or... And granted, I haven't seen Hobbs and Shaw yet, but I've heard people really like it. So what is it about Hobbs and Shaw that worked and this didn't, when both of them are kind of just like the Fast and Furious tacked onto something that's totally separate? uh,
2: I mean, I think with Hobbs and Shaw, you have two... You know, at the time when Hobbs and Shaw came out, you had two characters... um, that the Rock and Jason Statham played that fans wanted to see um because they had been in other movies so far and they worked really good with the cast uh and they worked really good with each other they had really uh one thing that I was really shocked about was the Rock and Jason Statham I think have incredible chemistry together uh they're actually really fun on screen but uh, nobody wanted Han or you know Sean's character. Um they wanted Fast they wanted Fast and the Furious, and they were hoping to get you know characters back, um, which is essentially what we got with Fast and Furious, the fourth one. So I think the reason why this movie didn't work out in the beginning is you didn't have characters that were established in obviously Han's become like one of the most beloved characters in the franchise, but at the time he was You know, he was nobody. It it wasn't like this was somebody that people were clamoring for, whereas Hobbs and Shaw, you have two characters that are established.
1: You know, I also kind of have to wonder if it's if it's a little bit of a cultural thing, too. The first two films are American films set in America with, yeah, the cars are almost all exclusively imports but they were souped up in ways that people were doing at that point in time, you know, probably beyond what the average tuner was doing. Um, You know, the kid down the street had the subs in the trunk and the, and the lights under his car. He probably didn't have the NOS. He probably didn't have the five point harness, Um, but it like, wasn't that far of a stretch. I think with this film, I just don't think people saw as much of, of the kinds of things that they were interested in as well. You know, with drift racing, I, you know, Harrison, you said that you we were into it, but I don't know how many other people were. I think the idea of doing a quarter mile or, you know, short like street courses and things like that was something that the American audience would have been much more familiar with.
0: You guys have some great insights that, like, when you say them, just blows my mind. So, <laughs> granted, me being into drifting, let's see, this movie came out in 2006, I would have been nine. So, yeah, I wasn't going to theater to see this <laughs> despite how much I was into drifting. Um, I didn't even know this was a thing. So, yeah, it, it is interesting how culture uh, how culture really motivates so much and how a studio thinks they have a pulse on culture and sometimes they really do. And other times it's like, nah, you missed hard. So, very interesting. I, I will say that I'm glad that this film is part of the Fast and Furious because I'm already super excited to see the character of Han come back. Like, I'm glad that he comes back. I think he was one of the best characters of this entire movie. Uh, Super likable. I also love that immediately there's a trope of him just always eating things. I hope that that's a continuation through the rest of the film, the rest of the movies. Like He was always eating stuff in the beginning of this movie, and I thought it was great. (laughs) It kind of dropped off towards the end of the film naturally because he was driving. He's not going to be eating and drifting, but I I enjoyed that. So uh, There we go. those, Those are our thoughts about how this film affects the rest of the Fast and Furious franchise. So let's finish out this episode here by revealing the rotten. And Rob, just go ahead and stand up and let us all know that it's you. I don't think there's any guess. But we will keep with the tradition because Matt and Rob are here from Matt Goes to the Movies. So we're going to carry over something from their show and rate this out of five reels. You can give it a solid number or a half number. Um, Matt, you will go first. I'll go second. And we will finish out with Rob.
2: (laughs) Okay. Um, it's going to be weird cause I have this ranked high, but I'm going to rate it on the scale a little bit lower. Um, so it's going to be weird, but I give this like 3.75 reels out of five. Um, that would be my ranking, but I know I do have this rated high overall, but, um, there's certain parts of this movie that I don't like, but when this movie is kicking um, and firing all, on all cylinders, I really like it a lot. Um, so there's my ranking for it.
0: Okay, you just made it way harder for me. I thought I knew what I was going to do, but now I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever. You know what? Four reels. I'm just I'm just going four reels. I was holding off. Again, we recorded the next episode before this, and I was hesitant to give that one, four reels, even though I really, really enjoyed it. And so I thought I was going to do the same with this and just stick to 3.5, but I'm just going to go for the gusto and say four reels because I am shocked by how much I like this, that I genuinely would watch it again. Like, Fast and the Furious, the next film, meh, probably. I mean, like, I wouldn't be opposed to watching it again, but I'm probably not going to like, you know, not for a while at least, Or like this, like, I could watch it in a few days and totally enjoy myself again. At least I think so right now. I mean, Maybe if I do it again, my opinion will totally change and Rob will have been successful. But as of right now, <laughs> for reels. I really, really am impressed with how much I just enjoyed this film. Not so much how good of a film it is, but how much I enjoyed it. Anyway, Rob, close us out with your, you know, zero rating or whatever it's going to be. I'm
1: going to firmly uh, plant my flag in the uh, the rummage for the rotten here. I've got it. It's unanimous. Uh, This is like a reel for me. Um, There's not a lot of movies of all the films that uh, and shows that Matt and I have had a chance to review together. Our our rankings are usually very close. The notable exceptions are uh, Black Panther, uh, Thor, and uh, and and some movie that came in between Rise of Skywalker and The Force Awakens.
0: (laughs) Some Uh, movie, right? (laughs) Some
1: movie that's that uh, is not actually very good. Um, outside of those, like most of the time, you know, his rankings and my rankings are, are actually really similar. And, um, this is just one that, uh, is probably going to be added to that short list uh, for sure. Uh, it's a real for me. Um, like I said, in the, in the pick your poison segment, um, outside of the last race downhill, I'm not sure what parts of this movie I would on purpose rewatch.
0: Fair enough. I can understand that. I I can realize that a lot of my enjoyment is through rose tinted glasses. So, but a single reel, I I still think that's brutal, but Hey, you know, that's what this is all about. So this is, this has been fun. Um, Once again, I want to give a huge thank you to Rob and Matt from Matt goes to the movies for being here for making these episodes a ton of fun and for getting me through them. I said to Matt on the other episode that I really think I would have given up after two episodes if it was just me, like, I don't even think I would have recorded an episode for too fast, too furious. I would have been like, whatever I'm done with it. Like I'm not pushing through, but knowing that I had to record with you guys and that I had to be accountable to you. I was like, whatever, I'll do it. And I'm glad that I did because whether the movies are fun or not, these conversations alone have been a blast. So I really do appreciate the two of you being here. And I would give Matt a chance to shout out his show and plug it, but I'm going to do it because I think Matt goes to the movies is a great podcast that if you enjoy The Basement Binge, you should definitely go subscribe to. Of course, linked in the show notes, but also wherever you get your podcasts on all the main platforms. Matt goes to the movies. It's a great episode. Great episode, wow. Great podcast that has many episodes that I really, really enjoy. There's some episodes where Matt and Robert are together. There's some episodes where there's all three of us. And even the episodes where Matt is alone, I feel like I'm immediately a part of a conversation with an individual that I want to... Talk to even before I developed this friendship with Matt and we were on each other's shows listening to his first few episodes. I was like, Yeah, this is somebody whose opinion about movies I want to listen to, even if we disagree and we have about you know a film. I there's a conversation that is enjoyable even just through listening to Matt's show. Additionally, I'm just going to recommend that you go check out any of the episodes on the Disney Plus shows that we have done. All three of us, if you like this episode specifically with all three of us, we did those episodes together. Mandalorian Season 2, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and now Loki, which we're recording Episode 2 in two days. So go subscribe to Matt Goes to the Movies, wherever you get your podcasts. You won't regret it, I promise. Hopefully I did, I did you justice, Matt. Hopefully.
2: I'm uh excuse me while I get myself together here that was very nice thank you
0: you're very welcome I'm happy to do it I appreciate you being here so that is we'll wrap it up here I will let Robin and Matt get to their bed because it's past their bedtime we're we're, we are separated by time and distance so I appreciate you making the sacrifice to be here really both of you I, I do appreciate it so once again, check out Matt Goes to the Movies linked in the show notes. Leave a review if you like this episode on Podchaser, Paw Podchaser.com slash the Basement Binge. Also in the show notes. But once again, my name is Harrison. This is the Basement Binge. And that is all for now. Ciao, ciao. We'll <laughs>